Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and as always, with me in the virtual room are Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael and I strive to do a perfect job of debating and deliberating the most ubiquitous uh, aspects of a variety of topics. I don't know if we succeed or fail, but uh, it's fun It's fun to try. Um, and this episode is about the Mount Rushmore Perfect. Whose choice was it? This was my choice. And I think the it came to me, uh, well, it came to me drunkenly, but it came to me because I think that there is sometimes like an idea of uh, personal perfection or things. I think there are things that you're like, ah, oh, I'm in this perfect moment. Nothing can get better. Uh, literally nothing can get better. Or there are like things that people do that are like almost literally perfect. That yeah. There literally is no way to get better than that. And I like the idea of talking about something that has an interpretation of something that is idealized, uh, but as well as something that um, physically um, or numerically cannot be better than what it is. And I think that, uh, you know, as people were sometimes, you know, I said something to Felix the other day, my son, who's God, he's five now, almost five. And um, I tried to stress practice makes better rather than practice yeah. makes perfect. And he corrected me. I said, well, practice makes better. And he's like, no, practice makes perfect. And I was like, oh, geez, you're fucking five. And like, understand <laughs> that, that yes, you've probably been taught this idea of being perfect or whatever, but like, yeah. gonna, I'm not going to tell them you're never going to get there, whatever you do. But just there is something that we're all striving for at some, t at some point in some aspect of our lives that we're trying to be the, the literal best. They're all good. But I remember um, at some point, um, like feeling really super accomplished, completing like a perfect load of laundry. Just like everything was done perfectly. Everything's folded, didn't screw anything up, didn't dye anything, didn't whatever. And it's just like, man. How much trouble do you laundry. have doing, how much trouble I do don't. you have doing laundry? I don't, I am, I am incredible at laundry. I am, <laughs> oh, good. I'm, uh, anyone who wants to bring laundry over, fine. I will knock it out of the park. If there's things that need to be hung up, I'm good with it. I don't. I'm really All right, I'll, anyway. I'll be over tomorrow. Okay. I'd love to see you. It's been yeah. a while. But the point is, I think that the idea of like perfect or perfection or whatever, I think uh, has a lot of emotion behind it, but also has a lot of like mathematics behind it. And I think it's strange when those two things kind of collide. I, I knew I had heard perfection is the enemy of in an aphorism but I didn't know what the enemy was. <laughs> and I, in my Google uh, progress, autocomplete, I see progress. Yeah. Of it, I think the idea is that like, excellence, if you're trying action. to get something, if you're trying to get something done, don't strive for getting every aspect of it done the exact right way. Try to do a little, if you, mm -hmm. if you move the, you know, the ball down the, the field a few yards at a time, that's better than like taking Hail Marys and never completing the pass. Yeah. Yeah. I, what's interesting is I, I think of positive and negative connotations for perfect. And I, th I think we probably embraced the positive ones um, originally and now are observing the, the negative ones. Or, or it seems like perfect is so rare, if not impossible. And the illusion of perfect, perfection is so uh, alluring 
that uh, we are often lost in the pursuit of it and um, f failing all around <laughs> because of, of perfect. Well, and, and the fact that I think with our modern society, things like social media amplify people appearing to have a perfect life or yeah. living a perfect lifestyle. Which when we all we all know if you scratch the surface even on the most basic level is not accurate, right? But but that's kind of the veneer that we're kind of presented by people all mm -hmm. the time on like Facebook and Twitter and what have you. So so I think I, I think that 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 with me whenever I assume someone had a perfect day today, I was like, really? Did you have a perfect day today? <laughs> you sure your toast wasn't a little bit more burnt than you thought it was going to be? Yeah. You know. <laughs> so for those who may be disappointed, this uh, podcast is not about the 1985 film starring John Travolta. And it's Jamie not? Curtis. I have all kinds of notes about Mary Lou Henner, oh, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> so I'm thoroughly disappointed. Well, uh, start this. You start off and we'll see how disappointed you are. Well, I, how disappointing I am. I, I can pretty much <laughs> guarantee you on that one. <laughs> So my first choice is the idea of a perfect movie, oh. which isn't which is slightly different than the greatest movie. You would think that like oh the greatest this is the greatest movie of all time would have to be a perfect movie, and that's not necessarily the case. But I think there are certain movies that just could not be improved upon. Like you couldn't recast it. Yeah, you couldn't change one element of the plot. There wasn't one performance that's a little bit weaker than everybody else's. It's just fundamentally, mm -hmm. it is solid. Mm -hmm. And the example I will give out of this as my choice for a perfect movie is Shaun of the Dead. Oh, and I know yeah. we talked about this uh, this movie before. I know we talked about it in our uh, comedy horror uh, episode with uh, Ben Rock and Bob DeRosa. If you guys want to go back and listen to that, if you're into comedies and horrors, please go listen. So I, I'll avoid going into this too much into the details of Shaun of the Dead. But I just, I, and I think this is the case with any of the Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright collaborations. I appreciate the level of detail that goes into those movies. Even things such as in Shaun of the Dead, when Shaun breaks, lays out his his game plan for what they're going to do in terms of having a perfect day. Mm -hmm. It winds up becoming later on in a very twisted way, exactly what happens in the plot of the movie. Hmm. You know, they're going to go see this, go see his mom and then go ring up his girlfriend, then wind up at the Winchester for a bite. And it just winds up becoming, you don't realize it until you watch it back you know, several times later mm -hmm. that they're actually describing, they're telling you foreshadowing exactly what's going to happen in the plot of the movie. Yeah. And I just, you know, back to the future, I think is a perfect movie. I can't imagine that you could have, you know, there is a version of, of back to the future that gets made with Eric Stoltz. That is still mm -hmm. a great movie, but it wouldn't have been the perfect casting. Michael J. Fox Fox is in fact, the perfect casting for Marty McFly. Mm -hmm. so I just I appreciate when there's a movie that comes along when you can just go 
nope, there's really nothing I would change about that. Uh-huh. Because it's easy to it's easy to see a movie and even a movie that you really like go, well, you know what would have been better if they what if they would have cast this person in this role? Or what if they would have gotten rid of this C story or whatever it happens to be? And I just really appreciate that there are some movies out there that just can't do any better than that. You know, it's funny. You you talk about a one of the things that we can use to rate perfect is how much it adheres to the structure or uh, expectation. And um, films like sports have a lot of structure to them. In golf, you know, if you hit if you shot eighteen. You know, it's hard, it would be hard to say, or if bowling, if you bowled 300, it would be hard to say that those weren't perfect. Right. And in a zombie movie, if certain things didn't happen, they they would make it less perfect. You know, you you it has a formalist kind of structure. And uh, so that that's interesting that you say that, even though it, I think what you were saying is they, they are um, alluding to a nice day uh, in a normal non-apocalyptic scenario but it ends up getting, getting fulfilled in an apocalyptic scenario. Yes. Yeah. And exactly. the bite is not what they expected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's, and there's plenty of examples of that within Shaun of the dead where little, you know, the, the initial scene where he's walking through the town and he kind of like, you know, stumbles upon the kid. There's just all, all the things that happen to him. And then later on after the zombie apocalypse, when he makes the same walk through town to get to the local convenience store, it's just everything is off a little bit. Yeah. It's just the way that those two scenes have been set up. It's just like mm-hmm. the level of thought that went into that yeah. is just exceptional. Yeah. It almost seems like perfect in that case is like that little Zen garden that you get from the the SkyMall catalog or something. Yes. <laughs> in which you Your can Your little comb tiny it. rake. Yeah. You can comb it in such a way that you can't imagine that it uh, would look any more symmetrical or or square or whatever it seems like films can be like that too yeah oh fun okay mike what you got uh my first choice is uh my the reason that i thought of this which is uh the third margarita (laughs) (laughs) at some point you're having like a margarita and it like you're fine it tastes good it's great uh at the end of a long day you're it's great Second margarita is just like piggybacking on the first one. But like at the end of the third margarita, you feel like just great. Yeah. And then you start going into like, oh, don't have that fourth one. Yeah. You want to exist in this like um, kind of space of like having fully enjoyed the taste and the flavor and everything and being a little buzzed, but not like drunk where like you're going to just, get into an argument with somebody over like the chip basket or whatever. Yeah. I I think we're all, I think sometimes if you're like uh, having a drink, you're trying to like reach a level of a perfect balance of like being with it, being, being able to be within a conversation and lively and having fun without like getting past the point where it's like, Oh, this guy and his fucking, what's he doing? (laughs) And I think that, um, for me, a third margarita is perfect. I, I don't need anything more. Mm-hmm. I don't. If I have something less, I'm always like being like, I should probably get another. 
I should probably get another one. <laughs> but I know that if I get like that fourth one, I'm like, uh, what are you doing? This is, there's no, there's, what's the point of it? You're just, it's too much sugar. Mm-hmm. It's too much salt. It's too much everything. And you just want to kind of live in that little, it's like curling. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you want to get j- close enough to the center, but not get too far, not to stay, stay too far away. You don't want to place your rock, you know, too, you know, just, you just want to get to that nice, perfect point where you're just feeling really, really good about every aspect of like whether your meal and your conversation and your mm-hmm. night out. And maybe it's, you know, it's, I don't know how many times I've been out with friends and at a bar and you're just having like, I don't know, four or five drinks. And you're just like, ah, it isn't, it either isn't doing it for you. Like whatever, whatever alcohol is that you're drinking or you're moving back and forth between things, just like, ah, mm-hmm. I'm angry and bored. I don't know. But like, <laughs> for me, the third, the, the third margarita is just like this really weird key thing. It's just like, ah, perfect feel great this is i'm not going to make another one not going to order another one uh, i feel great that's an interesting uh, observation not in in not every case is the direct is is imperfection right after perfection like if you if you bold a th- you can't bold a 301 <laughs> and screw it up you know but yeah. that 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 observation that on your ability to ride to the very crest of the wave without wiping out is, is yeah, an, it's not, yeah, it's because you're not trying to like necessarily get drunk. You're not trying to like get to the point where you're just so like you're smashed and you're whatever, but you're just trying to like be in this nice little zone for, I don't know, an hour or so where you're just like, like conversation is just weirdly better. Like the jokes, yeah. you know, <laughs> the jokes are just funnier. The conversation is better. That God, these these chips that weren't that great an hour ago at dinner. Uh-huh. Wow, they really don't have another one of those. Do you feel like that is a observation of an internal um, of self mastery? So you have observed this outside stimulant and the amount of that outside stimulant that you're supposed to use, but then if you were to overdo it, then you would have the sense of um, gluttony or <laughs> stupidity that you... That yeah, you... I, you know, it's your, it's your own personal limits and whatever comes to it. You know, I, it's, I don't want to feel like I've... I don't want to get to a point where I felt like I've built up like a tolerance where I'm like trying to outdrink myself. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily need to be like, you know, if we record this, you know, three years from now and be like, the fourth margarita, and now I feel <laughs> like I feel like that's a bad. That's a bad. Okay, thing. Mm-hmm. eighth margarita. I'm okay. That's the great one. Yeah, I have I diabetes I'm... and alcohol poisoning. Yeah, I'm. I'm getting girl drink drunk. <laughs> I think that there's just a very funny thing where you just like, it's it's a, a bit of a, a know thyself sort of moment, and maybe that's what being perfect. Yeah, that I am perfect, but achieving a sense of perfection on like your evening or whatever is just like you're just getting to a point where you're like, oh, I understand that this is this is what it takes. Whatever your third margarita is, yeah, may you all may you all reach that uh, comment. You know, <laughs> uh, man, Freddie. All right, so you mentioned bowling a perfect game a couple of times, so that's my second choice. 
And uh, I will just throw that out there that it is, it was for a number of years in high school, the bane of my existence was not being able to bowl a perfect game. I could get, I could get very close. I could string. I think the most I ever strung together was 10 in a row, 10 strikes in a row, but they weren't at the start of the, of the, of the game. It was like, I think I, I think I had a a spare split or something and then 10 in a row and then a spare or something like that. Or then, then like a nine, you know, I think I've been able, you know, I would regularly get six or seven in a row to start a game. And that's suddenly a lot of pressure. And it's like, you don't realize how much, even in just like doing this in your, in my, in a tournament in some like junior bowling league somewhere, you don't realize, realize how much, how much mentally you you stop being able to just naturally do the things that come easily to you when you have that pressure of perfection on you. And so after, yeah, after like ball number seven, you know, you know, strike number six or seven, suddenly it's like, wait, I could actually do this. I just need to do, you know, four more good shots and you've already done eight of them. So this shouldn't be that hard. Just do the thing that you've been doing and it'll all work out. And it's just really difficult to mentally. It's like, it's like when you try to remember how to breathe yeah. sort of thing. If you try and like go or, or trying to, when you can't go to sleep and you're trying to, okay, how did I go to sleep last night? Once you get into that, it's all screwed up. You know, once you, once you start trying to remember how to do this thing that should come naturally to you, that's where all the problems come in. So for me, the idea of, perf- I, I think if, if I were, it, I almost feel like if a perfect game, but there were, if it was to bowl 15 strikes in a row, it would make it a hell of a lot easier for me to bowl 12 strikes in a row. If that oh, makes yeah. sense. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause that almost seems like self-mastery. Also, but again, excuse the maddening. Me, excuse me, Jeff. It's a, this is a family show. Let's <laughs> self-mastery, please. Um, there's no abuse like self-abuse. That's what, <laughs> that's what Grandpa said. Well, the, the, and the pressure that comes from um, hovering around the event horizon of perfection, knowing that, that even seeking it is about to smash you and all your matter yeah every i can't imagine what i would have looked like if i had gotten to like 11 strikes in a row at any point i would have been you know yeah sweat just spurting off of my face <laughs> so was it the adoration of the women swooning at the feet of every yes. 300 bowler <laughs> yes all the you want to get laid you get yeah. a 300 game all the ladies at freeway lanes will come running <laughs> <laughs> tell you that right now no it's just it's just it's just personal pressure you know i i yeah you know i had friends who had bowled 300 games i was comparable with them in terms of like averages and stuff like that yeah but just for whatever reason it was a mental block that i could never get over yeah was it the jesus taunting you as he shined his ball in his pink uh 
licked his ball. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been it. Talk about self-mastery. Okay. The second one from Michael. I'll stay within sports and I will talk about um, the perfect game in baseball. And now not to like uh, crap all over Richard's um, sports choice. Um, a 300 uh, game in uh, bowling seems to have been done many times by sure. many yahoos all over the world at any time. Certainly, Richard almost has come close, apparently, um, to doing said feat. But um, in the 200... I'm a near Yahoo, thanks, Jeff. Or Michael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yahoo adjacent. In the mm-hmm. um, 218,400 plus Major League Baseball games that have been played, there have only been 23 recognized perfect games which uh, looking at my little calculator I have here is 0.000105% of games. So that's not a no hitter. What is it? What is it? It's a no hitter combined with no errors. Oh, it's basically 18 and no, batters and no walks. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, what is it? Nine, 18, 27. 27 batters, 27 batters have come up and 27 batters have been put out uh, mm-hmm. with no walks, no hits, no runs scored. And there have only been 23 in the history of this game that has gone on for 150 years wow. on the major league level or however they've deemed it. And I think that that thing is so crazy. I mean, just the number and the, the mathematics. When I'm talking about the mathematics of something versus the feeling of something, this is what I'm referring to is there's this – a very – just the mathematical – it's so hard to do. Because uh, to not walk someone seems almost impossible. To uh, you know, no hitters happen pretty frequently, right, Richard? Mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, but for someone to have not gotten anyone on base, not made a mistake, not uh, had the defense uh, make a mistake and an error—all these things have to have to happen throughout the course of a three hour game um, that like I thought of the 300 um, bowling game, but it's you against these, you know, 10 pins and one ball. It's not these 10 other people that you're, you know, these 27 other people you're uh, playing against, I guess it would be nine or however many it is. It's not this other team behind you that you're relying on to make these outs as well. It's not the, uh, score or whatever. It's all these different things that factor into uh, this baseball game and that it happens so infrequently is wild. Is That it happens at all is wild. It's, it's something that is so far out there. I mean, I don't think they don't have like these perfect games. I don't know. No one ever talks about a perfect game in golf. No one talks about a perfect game in basketball or football there are no such things but baseball leads itself i guess you know in bowling obviously but in baseball it's this weird thing that can happen and you it's kind of this weird magical thing it's strange to read about it and see the history that three of these 23 happened in 2012 the last time this thing happened three of them happened in one year which is such an aberration of a statistic 
that seems impossible. Can you imagine the getting the first perfect game in 2012 and then it happened again and then it happened again? Like the thing that happens once, you know, every dozen years or so that are these hallmark events, very strange. And I do like that when it happens to like weird random pitchers that aren't like masters of a game and they, they don't go on to do anything else. I, that's the best. <laughs> that's the best when the schlub gets like a, a perfect game and you're like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing now. Is it something coaches even say? Like, they don't say go out and, I guess each department, or each, each person is trying to not make an error or to not screw up. But would a coach even say that? I don't no. think so. No, you don't okay. want to you don't want to jinx anything. Okay. I almost seems yeah. like like if you told your football team, okay, let's you know, we want to get a touchdown, but don't run into anybody. <laughs> I, try not, I like that. Try not to bump into anybody. I like that aspect too. I love the the weird um psychosis behind it and the weird superstition behind like at some point, someone has got like a no hitter going into what, like seven innings or six innings. So nobody mm-hmm. starts talking to the pitcher. And then the broadcasters stop talking about it. And the people in the stands stop talking about it. Or they talk and, about it. The announcers will talk about it in a really cryptic way. Instead yeah. of saying he's been perfect through seven, it's, you know, he's allowed the minimum number of ba- of, of batters <laughs> yeah. through seven innings. Or there have been 21 batters so far. Yeah. It's Way just weird. Out. You know what? Yeah, I I find it interesting too, is because it seems like there is an external and an internal perfection we're striving for. Richard, when you described that uh, um, that state that you were in of knowing that you had the skill to accomplish the 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 act of throwing a strike, uh, that your body knew what to do, but that your once you had an awareness of this external opportunity to bowl a 300, that's when all of those mechanisms were threatened because of the, the state of, of, <laughs> of perfection that was attempting. So you could not accomplish uh, inner perfection, meaning just a mechanism performing the act without any emotion yeah. or, or insecurity or stress because of the external desire for perfection yeah i can't i can't fathom what it's like to be an actual major league pitcher yeah and be be two outs in the ninth and staring down one batter that you got to get out or at least not walk or you know don't hit him yeah with the ball (laughs) i just can't fathom what what the thoughts that would be going through a pitcher's brain while Uh this is happening yeah you know it's funny michael you mentioned that there hasn't been a, a no hitter in 10 years now or not in order to hit a perfect game in the last 10 years. Yeah. And there's a lot of discussion about how there may, we may not see many perfect games come moving forward just because the way, the nature of how pitching has changed, it's less about get the ball over the plate, throw strikes, you know, it's okay if they get it, put it into play as long as they, you make them get outs. And it's more about lots of curve, lots of speed, lots of power, you're going to get a ton of strikeouts, but you're probably also going to walk some people. So while you might see more no-hitters in the future, there's a decent chance that you're going to see less perfect games than you have in the past. I just find that interesting. 
Yeah, I think it's just it's this it's a it's such a like this weird solitary baseball pinnacle of achievement for a particular pitcher. Like they don't say like this is a perfect game pitched or you know uh, put on by the um, you know Los Angeles Angels because it is a team effort. I mean, it, yeah, it relied on the pitcher, but the pitcher does you know x amount of the work or x percentage of the work, and the hitters at a particular time are failing at a very specific point. But then also the fielders they have to do so much of the, like there's, I'm sure they are so conscious at every moment of like, okay, it's the seventh inning and there's two outs and the best hitter is up and I've got to make whatever play is possible just to preserve this thing. And then what if this guy is, doesn't have the stuff to go past seven innings. Usually what if this guy is usually pulled by the sixth inning, like all these, right. all these different things that must go into achieving this thing, this you know, this piece of glory. I don't know. You know, it's also interesting. I was just thinking of, I I know we need to move on to halftime, but like, can you imagine being one of these weird schlubby pitchers that is one of the, you know, 20 something people that have achieved this thing. And then you don't get into the hall of fame because the rest of your career is just so middling. Man, (laughs) if you pitch a a perfect game, how about you automatically just like get into the hall of fame? Like no matter what the rest of your career looked like, just like, man, we got to get this person has to be represented in some way. I don't know. I I had a coach who was a Taekwondo competitor, and when he would compete at a, yeah. Pan, a Pan American Games or a, a, some kind of qualifying something, and whenever he won, you just get a belt. They just or they make they bump you up a level. And so there were times when he was fighting that he was like, I got to, I got to kick this guy's ass if I want to be eighth level. Um, and so and there was a time when he just lost and he was like, ah, oh. it was his last, it was one of his last matches. And he, he knew he was going to retire at a fifth degree black belt versus a six because he, because he lost, he lost that match. Yeah. So. But let's be honest, Jeff, you could have taken him, right? I could have taken I could have taken him. Like if, it, if push came to shove, because yeah, he shove. might be good at the taekwondo flippy yeah. hold stuff. Yeah, but you would you would have like bit him. Yeah, that's if right. You had to. Yeah, he he doesn't know tire tool. I know tire tool. <laughs> I yeah, exactly. take out of my trunk, start swinging it. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, our opportunity to invite you to uh, give us the perfect topic. We're waiting. We are like um, we are standing at the top of the mountain, waiting for somebody to come up and knock us off with the perfect topic. And that could be contributed to us via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You let us know what you'd like us to discuss next time. We will probably do it. And then we'd like you to do us a solid download, rate, and review past episodes. It would be really cool if you would let us know what you think. You could you could choose one star. You could choose five stars. Just let us know. We need feedback. And we would be grateful for that. I would, and, I would welcome uh, a zero-star review. If you, you think? can get us all the way, sure, get us all the way down. You know, because yeah. they say, they say, oh, the more stars, uh, maybe you can just like flip it in reverse, like your oh, search yeah. filter, like look for the oh. worst podcast. Oh, let's it's like, let's do that. Let's Facebook, not be middling. Like let's social media middling. content that creates controversy and anger is also some of the top performing. Sure. The algorithm loves yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know, search for the best. No, no, no. Let's do us. Let's. 
we've, we've reached the level. Search for the worst. So, yeah. We might not be the worst. Like, literally, we're not the worst. Possibly. We've been doing yeah. this for so long, and we have uh, zero uh, uh, budget, and um, yeah. we've made zero money, and um, there's lots of zeros that I'm talking about. But let's <laughs> like get to the point where, like, I don't know, let's be known for being, like, the, the worst-rated podcast. Oh, okay, so this is not a heel turn. It's mm. just a quality drop, right? Well, no, it's just like it, it, in the in the world of go big or go home. This is go home. This is go home. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Everybody go home on us. <laughs> okay, audience, uh, you'll tune in next week <laughs> to our next episode. And see, see how see how much mediocrity. Forty five minutes of just static. Yeah. <laughs> and like annoying static and like static that like you keep adjusting the dial and it keeps getting worse and worse somehow <laughs> and that's where that's we get up. the comments i find this preferable oh thank <laughs> you so uh what's your third richard all right so my third is the perfect crime oh love this love and whatever this is i will tell you what i think the perfect crime is because wikipedia told me what the perfect crime is uh in january of 2009 $6.8 million worth of jewelry were t- was taken from the cases of a uh, department store in Berlin known as Kadiwi. And they were caught on, there are three uh, thieves who were caught on surveillance cameras coming in from the skylights, fit, breaking the security system and getting the jewels. This, now, this was also, this was also um, the storyline of um, the, Great Muppet Caper, if I yes. remember correctly. And then they, they, then they broke into the John, yeah. they broke into John Cleese's house. <laughs> no, um, but the police did find some evidence. They found a, a drop of sweat in a latex glove that had been thrown away. Oh wow! And they were able to run it through the German uh, crime database, and they got not just one hit but two hits on it because it belonged to a set of uh, Lebanese immigrant twins. Wow. And the problem was because they couldn't tell you which one of the two, which one of the two's uh, DNA it was, they couldn't use it as evidence in a trial. Oh. Because you can't say, because one could say, well, I wasn't there. It must have been my brother who did it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other one would say the same thing, and there would be no way to prove it because identical twins have identical DNA. So, so they, they, they had chose, to drop. They had to drop the case. They had the fifty-fifty um, millionaire clue, and they couldn't use that to get a little <laughs> bit more evidence and try try one of the the dudes. <laughs> they, they tried, but it they did they they just couldn't get it narrowed down to either proof that both of them were there or that any one of them were there. So, I mean, if it's you or I and they find a spot of our sweat inside a glove at the crime scene, we're screwed. So the lesson here, kids, make sure you have an identical. If you have an identical twin, listeners, go on a crime. (laughs) Just go on a crime spree. They can't stop you. It's pretty much free money at this point for you. Just go. Also, also like um, put, put whatever glove you're wearing in your pocket. Yes. That was a very OJ, OJ move by whoever dropped that one. You have have pants with extra pockets and be like, okay, this is my designated glove disposal pocket. Yeah. Yeah, you always, 
I was going to say, you always picture like like jewel thieves having like skin tight, really like form fitting clothes. But I would say cargo pants might be the way to go. Is what yeah. you're suggesting? Lots of pockets. Also, also good if you're going to like the park with like your son, because you can put like the sippy cup in there, and the other <laughs> can fit the goldfish. Yeah. Sitcom premise. <laughs> I love the I love the idea, Richard. I love the idea of the perfect crime. Something that. Uh, has been like masterfully planned someone that uh that like there's this genius arch villain that has thought of every um every scenario every outcome every out for his um like escape plan or or whatever um but what i also love about like the master criminal who has this perfect plan they always hire like the dumbasses <laughs> like at some point part of yeah. the master plan is also like including like okay we need schlubs to do dumbass work that's part of it like yeah. we need you need like bullies and you need like tough guys and ruffians yeah we who's going to carry this... gold bricks except schlubs <laughs> yeah yeah the people with like the man manicured fingernails that are, have like um uh, perfected the way that they can you know uh pick a lock are not the people that are just like lugging things in like burlap sacks yeah and i i love this idea that there's just like that these villains also rely on dumb people for so much of their work <laughs> constantly and that's that's just written maybe that's just written into like the mathematics of it all they're like well you know what at some point we gotta get the dumbs in here <laughs> who who is uh lex luthor's side sidekick i forget what his name ned Beatty. yeah yeah the ned otis Berg. otis yeah otis Berg. I, mr luthor i just thought that you know what's funny is when you describe that i feel like you described the perfect criminal not the perfect crime it seems like the perfect criminal mm -hmm. is one you cannot gather evidence against yeah but you have to be a perfect criminal to commit the perfect crime do you not? I don't well, know. My baseball analogy seems that you can be like a, like kind of a just out of AAA pitcher that can somehow, you know, uh, pitch a perfect game, but then never be heard from again. So you're yeah. saying that you could be, you could be a criminal and just blunder into the perfect crime. There is a Rowan Atkinson movie that we <laughs> do right. <laughs> okay. Uh, Michael, your third one is what? Okay, my third one is feels like it's of um, part and parcel of that, and it is the wrestler, Mister Perfect. That's my last choice, by the way. Oh is wow! Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I'll I'll double up then. But Mister Perfect, what I love about him is his. Um, there are two. There are two aspects about Mister Perfect that I love. One is that as a professional wrestler, everyone loved to work with him because he was very methodical he was very good at what he did he was a good worker in the ring uh he was very protective of how he treated you and like it was an easy match apparently to wrestle with um kurt henning because he was very he was great at it he was he was muscular and strong and but uh conscious of what was happening but then uh the other aspect is that this guy that was so arrogant, like his his entire persona was because of this. He was so good at it that his he was so perfect as a wrestler that he could do no wrong. That everything about him was so was literally perfect. He was this perfect this perfect specimen of a 
of, of a body and all these different things. Um, he would shoot these vignettes of him um, bowling a perfect game or mm-hmm. um, throwing an 80 yard touchdown to, to himself. himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I love, I love the arrogance of being perfect. Right. I think that's what, what you kind of, both of you kind of spoke to at the beginning of the, uh, the episode regarding like this kind of um, online perfection that you're projecting out to the universe to you want everyone or everyone wants to be like you because of everything you do is so great. But at the same time, he never got past the intercontinental level status of winning a wrestling belt. Being perfect wasn't necessarily about winning the heavyweight championship belt, which was like the ideal thing for anyone to do. I mean, Hulk Hogan held it for so many years because of that. Um, but he was like the intercontinental champion for a long period of time. And like, no offense to the intercontinental champion, but uh, it is second tier to the heavyweight championship. And I love that this guy who is billed as being perfect and did things perfectly and executed things perfectly. Hey, he still never got out of like second gear or whatever. That's interesting that, uh, yeah, reading about him and how much esteem, as you said, his uh, colleagues held, especially in something in which uh, wrestling is is something that has components that are, um, say, not spontaneous, that are, (laughs) um, and some that are, uh, that one could prepare uh, meticulously and, and prepare him themselves as an athlete meticulously for something that uh, pretends to have so much chaos in it. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's really, and so Richard, why did you choose Mr. Perfect? Uh, mainly because of the vignettes that they ran yeah. that Michael talked about, which were freaking phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. there's one where he's just hitting home runs and Wade Boggs is there like amazed. Like, I can't believe this guy's hitting all these home runs. And the acting is like, you know, Z grade level which they've got like <laughs> you know this NFL player sitting there with mouth wide open watching Mr. Perfect like uh-huh. Michael said throw an 80 yard bomb and then run mm-hmm. down the field and catch it himself or throw a bullseye every time in darts or whatever it happened to be. yeah <laughs> was that it was, inspired by the Bono's uh, campaign or I think it was it would have been around the same time let's see it would have been 90 or it would have been 88 so yeah, that's right around the bow nose period. So I, I suspect there was some element of that creeping into it. Uh-huh. I think that was the thing that I was really um, quite astounded with. I I assumed that, that at least within like the WWF, like Mister Perfect was around, like in the um, later part of the eighties or the mid part of the eighties. But he didn't really kind of come into the WWF until like like the early nineties, like maybe nineteen ninety. I was 89. surprised he would 89. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, okay. I'm splitting the difference, but like, it felt like he was so much more, maybe it just speaks to his like presence within the wrestling oeuvre. Like I thought he was around a lot earlier than that. Well, you might, rem- you might remember him from his time in AWA, which was on ESPN at the time. I have, I, I honestly, there is an element of like wrestling, like anything that didn't hit, WWF, I have no memory of. Like, well, it, it may be like any, a vague any, like, sort of like ghost of a memory that you have the, of him. I'm sure it could be. 
Yeah, I'm sure you probably watched some AWA wrestling. It was on at like four o'clock on on weekdays. So coming home from so. school would have been the perfect time to see it. Possibly. But there's 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 definitely like an it's like, you know, um, at some point in the when I started collecting comic books in like the kind of early 90s, I only was reading like um, Marvel comics. Like I had a vague awareness of what was happening in like DC, but um, it feels the same thing with it feels the same way with like um, all these other wrestling affiliations or WCW. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have one more, uh, Michael, from you. And uh, oh. just want yeah. to know ahead of time, did either of you pick any music? No, I didn't. I'm challenging you before we wrap to choose a fifth bonus of a perfect song. Great. I can tell you exactly what it is. Okay. When, when we get to number five, I'll get there. Okay. Yeah, I can't too. Yeah, my fifth, um, or my fifth, my fourth choice is the, uh, in the video game Street Fighter 2, if you defeat somebody uh, without taking a hit or taking any damage, there's this sound drop where the announcer says, perfect. And it is this thing <laughs> that lives within my head as this moment of like just such personal like a uh, vindication of a thing that in theory shouldn't be that important within playing the game. You play this game and you just want to defeat your enemy, whoever you're playing and get to the next level and whatever you're just trying to get through it. But um, the sound drop and the way that the computer voice says perfect is <laughs> something that is so like embedded in me as this thing of like, Oh, if, well, if I can, if I can defeat Dalsim without getting a hit, that seems like something that I should really strive to do. Mm-hmm. If I can, I got to take out Chun Li and do it. Not only do it, but be perfect at it. And I don't ever remember prior to that ever feeling this notion of like, not only do I have to get through and play this video game, but I have to be perfect at it i've got to get i've got to do everything in it i think there was a moment later on when i was playing donkey kong country on the super nintendo where i had to get like uh every little gold token thing had to complete every level with getting every coin maybe there's just a notion of like oh i i can play this game but not only can i defeat the game but i can do it perfectly oh, that is a a new thing to strive for. And I think that video games kind of develop this sort of um, language about not only playing the game, but getting, achieving every goal within a game, collecting every star or doing everything to a point where like you cannot do the game any better. You've played the game so much, you've tried to achieve so much. And I think it, it weirdly, or it feels like it has these roots in, street fighter of playing against a, another combatant and doing it without taking any hits and doing it perfectly. And I don't know what it is. There's just something about that. Those two syllables together. It's just like, Oh, I, you hear it. And you're just like, so you feel so proud of yourself. I don't know. I'm fascinated by the reward for perfect, how it can be something 
some eight bit, uh, (laughs) (laughs) like what, uh, have you, have you in your life ever strived to, you know, get enough ski ball tickets so you can get this (laughs) silly spider ring or something like that? The slightly larger, larger lizard. Yeah. Yeah. And then even the, the kind of the invention of perfect, it almost seems like, a an imaginary number that, you know, was Descartes would have invented or something. It's, it's, it, it is inattainable, but yet as a concept, it is something that's very powerful, but, uh, that's, that's interesting. And, uh, and how, how trivial and counterfeit the reward can be. Was it searching for Bobby Fisher or something where he wants, uh, mm. Ben Kingsley to just give him the, <laughs> the document after this kid is, has shown his incredible mastery of chess. He, but it turns out since he's just a little kid, he wants the little certificate that he was supposed to get or something that was entirely trivial compared to winning all these championships. But there yeah. is, there's no other podcast that is going to go from street fighter to, to Bobby uh, Fisher. Secret yeah. Bobby Fisher <laughs> in the scope of one and yeah. a half minutes. Congratulations. We did it. Uh, we did it. We did it. Okay. So bonus round, uh, the perfect song, Richard is what? There she goes by the laws. Oh God. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a w- definitely the perfect power pop. Yeah. So it's, I, and, and, and my, my definition is it doesn't have to be a long song. I think that any song over like three and a half minutes, three yeah. minutes probably is too long to be perfect. And it doesn't have to have a lot of moving parts. You know, it doesn't have to be good vibrations. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this like mini pocket, you know, masterpiece or something like mm-hmm. that. It doesn't have to be the wall of sound. It can just be where every note, is the right note for that yeah. point in time. And at that point, you did indicate um, how we we live in a culture in which more is more, but perfect is less very frequently. And that that song might come in at 2 minutes, 37 seconds. There's some Beatles songs that come in at yeah. 2.15. Two <laughs> uh, and, and, and the fact that the guy from The Laws, the lead singer and songwriter, whose name is I'm just totally blanking on right now. It's L.A. Mavers. And is which that who it is? Think, which made me think his his band was called the the LAs, you know, for a while. It's ah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, yeah. Is, but he he was like a he was like a notorious perfectionist, and it took them like yeah. hundreds of takes to get the song right. And in fact, that's the story is that they never made a follow up album because uh, he wound up basically becoming so much of a perfectionist that it was impossible to get anything recorded. Yeah, I think his band didn't like him. I don't think. Yeah, it's almost like if Rivers Cuomo went too far <laughs> off yeah. the deep end. Yeah, but but I guess my point is that it's, maybe that's eventually what winds up happening to people who search for perfection and actually get close to it. Yeah. Like, where do you go from there after you've yeah. created this, like, just a little, little perfect three-minute pop song? Mm-hmm. I, and what, was it on the... Uh, I forget who... The, on the... So I married an axe murderer. Um, For sure, there's a cover of it 100%. on the. There's an album with twelve twelve songs on it soundtrack. There's two cop versions of that song on that soundtrack, <laughs> and it's both. I remember playing both in order and going, I don't know which is better, because because it's just if you can write a great song that any schmo can cover it, like I don't know, feelings <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> uh, right? Strangers in the night. Then th- that's a pretty dang good song. So, what do you got, Manfred or uh, Winfield? Uh, Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Which I think is um, 
a perfect song and I think also I think the best song ever written. But it's one of those songs that um captures every aspect about like it's haunting and it has these really heartbreaking lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um but can be kind of misconstrued as a love song as well. And uh his uh Ian Curtis's vocals are just so um, kind of soft and emotional in it and um i don't know just I, it's to me it's just a song that like there's no aspect of the song that can be better and then you hear like different covers of the song and they're like oh yeah you know what you're doing this is a great version of the song it's a song that is like the best possible song that can be covered as well as being a perfect song and i think that's what i think has it has so many just mm-hmm. uh, extensions or deep roots or something there's it can be interpreted in so many different ways and sung differently that uh, it's just perfect to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, he didn't have any problem following up that song, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. What a fun topic. We picked the perfect topic. Yes, we did. Couldn't, we sure did. We can't get any better than this, so we're nope. we're shutting it down. <laughs> Pasta next week, and then we're good to go. <laughs> um, because it was personal, uh, and it just helped color in a little bit more about the the ill spent youth of Richard Manfredi. <laughs> um, my, my pursuit, my pursuit of bowling perfection. Yeah, yeah. the bowl, <laughs> pursuit of bowling perfection. Love it. Love and, it. And since you guys both did Mister Perfect, um, uh, I. I super dig that and the perfect game in baseball i think is really interesting for me because i didn't know there was anything more than a um a no hitter i thought it was uh i thought there was something i thought that was the most you could do um uh so that was really cool and um as much as i love there she goes um level terrace apart has some really um rich deep texture and some kind of sorrow attached to it um in a way people like james dean or um um elvis or whatever you know kind of kind of live in perfection because they uh ended up um leaving us too soon but uh um too early to become imperfect so that's kind of really compelling to me so cool is that four that's four yeah all right this has been the Mount Rushmore of Perfect. I'm always Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. 